one thing that works my soul is like when people are just transferring money from here to there and here and Venmo. And so now like we are looking at because people can pay bills through Venmo, all of your deposits, all of your withdrawals, everything's being scrutinized because uh. we need to see what's happening and like, what are you doing? What is this? Are you, you know, so your bank statements get looked at, all your deposits, all your withdrawals, all the deductions on your pay stubs, your tax returns. So you just need to make sure that you're completely transparent upfront so there's no um, surprises at the end. You are now listening to the Your First Steps podcast. It's great to talk about million dollar dreams, but where do we start? How do we get there? Listen up. As you hear directly from real estate industry leaders on how they reach success in their fields. And most importantly, what were their first steps? Let's get this party started. Here's your host, Eli, the real estate guy. Hey, how's it going, guys? Thank y'all so much for tuning in to another episode of the Your First Steps podcast. We have a very, very special guest uh, today. She is a mother, she is a real estate investor, and she is a underwriter. All right. And this person, um, if you guys have followed us on, uh, if you call, followed me on Clubhouse, then you would have seen this person in an accountability call. Uh, and for you guys who have not seen an accountability call, you have no idea what I'm talking about. So that's fine. Uh, but today we're going to be speaking <laughs> with uh, Zakia Brown. Uh, Zakia, how are you doing today? I am well. How are you? I am doing all right. So thank you so much for uh, for coming on. Uh, and uh, just to kind of let everybody know how uh, we met. Uh, so it started off uh, on Clubhouse. Uh, and, you know, in the mornings, we'll have uh, different calls that we'll do, holding each other accountable for different uh, goals that we're working on. And uh, yeah, at one point on stage, it was probably like 20 or some of us on there. And then as the years went on, uh, it became a smaller group, but a, a tighter right. group that really uh, kept folks uh, accountable. But uh, during that time, being an underwriter, uh, you are always able to provide a lot of insight from that aspect, uh, from people looking to, uh, you know, get mortgages and things of that nature. But for the folks who don't know you, uh, go ahead and uh, introduce yourself to the people. Hi, I am Takia Brown, and I'm so happy, Eli, that you have me on here. Um, so I'm, I'm, I hold a lot of titles, right? So um, first and most importantly, um, you know, a mother of a teenage daughter, entrepreneur, and I'm also um, a mortgage um, underwriter. I've done um, mortgage brokering, processing. I've done it all. I've been in the real estate game for about over 20 years. Um, and so I'm also an investor. And um, so our clubhouse accountability group was life-changing for me you guys our group was awesome yeah and so that's how we became acquainted and so here we are (laughs) awesome awesome good deal yeah so um now of course we'll get into the underwriting and and everything else that you have going on but Mm -hmm. a lot of times whenever it comes to uh a professional or anyone that gets into a career i usually find that there's a connection between their childhood and what they end up uh becoming so Take us back to when you were a kid uh, and what was it like uh, growing up in your in your household? <laughs> it's a lot. That's a that's a lot. So to to shorten it. So my dad um, was in the military. So, you know, we had a very strict household um, and so very strict. And um, my mom was a huge nurturer. Um, you know, rest in peace, mom. And she was just amazing. So between like the disciplinary, you know, father, nurturing mother, you know, here I am. And I think it was a a perfect, happy medium between the discipline and the nurturing, um, you know, that created who I am. My dad was very, um, you know, my dad informed us a lot on, informed me about saving um, credit just being like financially responsible. And um, so I think my dad instilling those things into me um, is what helped me be very cognizant of my credit, of um, just being uh, financially responsible. And then my mom was always, 
she helped build my confidence. And so it was, to me, it was a perfect mix of um, the two of them. Gotcha. Gotcha. Good deal. So, so yeah. Oh, go yeah. So <laughs> no. as he was uh, speaking to you about like, you know, uh, credit and everything and uh, on the, the finance side, were was there an introduction to, uh, you know, finance to where it was that turning point of like, oh, this is something I may want to do as a career? No, that's interesting you say that. So my dad, um, you know, he believes in not working for anyone. He's been an entrepreneur since I've been born. Um, and so he has always, um, at one point when I was, you know, making a lot of money, it's like, <laughs> honestly, that, that was the thing, you know, yeah, but it's like, yeah. what other, what's my other option? You know, he didn't uh, teach me entrepreneurship, but uh, he's always been an entrepreneur. So, um, I didn't, he didn't really school me on entrepreneurship, but he did, um, push it and encourage it. But, uh -huh. You know, by the time I was 26, you know, I had a child. So entrepreneurship just wasn't for me because I wanted to focus on stability and just, uh -huh. you know, knowing. And, you know, I guess maybe I just didn't, um, you know, if I, I think that if there was some sort of support system that pushed me into entrepreneurship, that's where I would be. But right. um, I'm choosing, um, you know, I have a nine to five, you know, I know a lot in the community and podcasts promote um, self-employment and entrepreneurship, which I'm mm -hmm. teaching my daughter that and that's mm -hmm. the route that she's going for now. But I decided to work because um, I knew it was guaranteed. It wasn't guaranteed income, but it was more more reliable than what I could do by myself as an entrepreneur right. so I never ventured off into being full-time entrepreneurship so I was like what other way can I have other forms of income and then I chose um investing in stocks and real estate gotcha. and it's been yeah it's been good awesome so you said something that was very interesting and I feel like it's mm -hmm. important for a lot of people to to really take that and and understand that not everyone should just, you know, basically burn the boats. I'm an entrepreneur. I'm, I'm doing, you know, my own thing without getting nine to five. I'm never working, you know, for, for a person. It, there's value in actually having a job. Right. And it is. My, yeah. 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 So it's like something that, uh, so my, my wife and I, uh, we've been, well, Whitney, we've been uh, <laughs> going to, uh, we went to this one training, uh, it's called multifamily mindset. It's a, a group of mm -hmm. folks that specialize in, uh, investing in, in apartments. And mm -hmm. one of the things that I realized whenever it came to going to an event like that, uh, or speaking with other folks that raise capital, there's part, the main source that you go to usually are folks who have jobs when it comes to raising capital. Uh, and right. yes, you'll, uh, you'll find folks that are entrepreneurs. They have, you know, tons of money, say where, whatever, but a lot of the folks that you're targeting are folks that have 401ks that aren't growing as fast as they would like. Uh, and these individuals that you're saying, Hey, you should be an entrepreneur. It's like, Hey, this person is making six figures. They have a 401k that, that they're, you know, uh, loading up every year. They have a Roth, they have savings, they have all this money now where, I would say the the disconnect is sometimes and where I feel like whenever people feel like the grass is green on the other side is somebody who's solely an entrepreneur, uh, they'll be like, I would never, I would rather be broke than have somebody, you know, be my boss. Uh, but I mm -hmm. do understand sometimes there's that appeal of uh, uh, somebody that's on a nine to five to be like, man, it sure would be nice to just have control over my complete schedule uh, without ever having to come in. So I guess where where would you say that balance uh, between investing and having a job? Like where where do you find that balance, and 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 what do you do to make sure that you're making your money make money? That's a great question. I think so. For me, my, with my personality, like type A, very assertive. I think entrepreneurship and not being employed by somebody is probably what's best for me. But this is my one shot at being a mom, having my daughter. And I just, in the, my personal struggles as an individual is discipline and consistency. Uh -huh. So I, I just felt like, like I, my work ethic is on a thousand. 
Mm-hmm. Um, my work ethic is amazing. My my I'm very educated, but I'm I'm not very disciplined. So mm-hmm. I just never really trusted myself. And I feel like, you know, with the right people in my life, I probably could have, but mm-hmm. I chose to work and it hasn't always been great. But um I think that when you decide like I'm not going to settle for less. I'm not going to be this stereo, in my case, this stereotypical, like, single parent that's going to, you know, not have anything. So my goal, once I had my daughter, was like, oh, I got to go crazy. You know, I Mm -hmm. have to make sure Mm -hmm. I provide the life for her. Since she's been two years old, we've been going on vacation two and three times a year. I've I've provided a very, she's very... um, well-rounded and I you know I just made sure that I try to provide a life for her that was stable so stability to me was working that is very um debatable you know what I mean like people will have their arguments like no stability is being self-employed but at the time I didn't have a huge support system and my mom passed away when when Bianca, when my daughter was five. And so I didn't have a huge support system of like babysitters. I was trying to be a realtor when I got pregnant. And so I was like, well, there goes that because I'm not going to just leave my daughter and be out here trying to sell houses. So I did mortgage brokering with a friend of mine. Um, it was commission only. And I was doing well, but I'm not a salesperson. Um I mean, I think the charisma that comes with it, I have, but I don't think the the hustle and the trying to sell people on things that they may not want. Back then, subprime was really popular, so it was easy uh, to, to make a lot of money in sales. Right. So I don't think my success as sales was because I was a great salesperson. I think it's because it was subprime and people were desperate. Gotcha. So um, I just think you have to figure out what works for you, whether it's working and creating a stable income. Like I have a 401k, I have life insurance, I have health insurance, I have all the things needed to to raise a child. So I don't want people to get caught up in entrepreneurship is the way, because it's not always the way. It, I think for me, um, now that Bianca, is my daughter, is moving on and graduating, I think self-employment looks more desirable because I won't have a small child in the household, but, you know, raising her and just, um, I've always had jobs that were performance-based and I'm a great, my work ethic is amazing and I'm a good, I'm good at most things that I give myself a hundred, you know, if I give a hundred, 10%, it's going to get done. Uh-huh. So because I have performance-based jobs, my incentives, or, you know, it's just, it provides a great lifestyle for us. And I didn't want to mess that up with, with entrepreneurship. So investing is what I decided to do. Um, gotcha. Gotcha. Yeah. Cool. So now the main reason for having the nine to five was because of your child. But um, now that she's, you know, getting older, you're considering mm-hmm. uh, doing the, the self-employment thing. So what what does that look like for you uh, if you were to to go that route? That's that's actually what I'm in the process of trying to figure out. So I'm very educated in real estate. You know, I've done um, FHA, VA, conventional portfolio, new construction. You know, there's there's I'm really educated in that space in my life in real estate. I'm also um, um, I think my gift in parenting is a parent. And I also feel like um just my lifestyle that I've created for for my daughter and I, I feel like I could capitalize off of that. And I don't, I'm very private. So I don't post a lot on social media. I just, my Facebook is private. I have less than 200. I have like 150 followers, or, you know, right. friends on Facebook by yeah. choice. And then Instagram is public. So I wasn't, I wasn't really sure how to tap into entrepreneurship because I feel like there's a lot of misinformation out there. So my uh, goal was to just try to give correct information and also for normal, not normal, maybe not say normal, but just for everyday working people like me as, uh, as a parent, trying to provide a lifestyle um, is, it makes more sense than people popping out here in like Porsches and Lamborghinis and stunting for Instagram. Gotcha. I'm like, you know, I just want to show how it's done modestly. 
because gotcha. that's not, you know. <laughs> gotcha. So that's I'll always play. been my goal. I'm just not really, I haven't gotten into the content creation part of it, but that's what I would like to do is educate people on first time home ownership, uh-huh. credit, business credit, personal credit, and then just go from there because I feel like that's my strength. Now, I'll tell you what, I mean, being that you're you're knowledgeable and all this <laughs> stuff, and mm-hmm. I mean, we, we heard you go on the on the morning calls. What you could do, you have your daughter that's doing an amazing job with her content. She could just be right. your director and just tell you like, all right, <laughs> here we go. We got to set up the camera and you just let it rip. So maybe that's something that y'all could talk about. Uh, and she could just give you like a format or a formula. And as she goes through <laughs> college, you got the formula and you could just let it rip. Because people, because underwriting is something that it's like the, you're like the mysterious person that nobody ever sees, right? You're the person that's in the back that's doing the numbers. That's, you know, that's, that's letting people right. know like, Hey, it's either happening or not happening. So uh, right. kind of go, going in, into, into that part. So, uh, so I'm assuming you started off with the, uh, the, the brokerage uh, processing and then it went into underwriting or was that always underwriting from the beginning of when you got into the, the um, no. honestly, to be super, mm-hmm. super honest, when I got into the mortgage industry, I was 22 years old. Mm-hmm. And I was an administrative assistant. I went mm-hmm. from being I went from being a manager at a call center to mm-hmm. being an administrative assistant. Mm-hmm. And I'm my personality type. I, I'm not administrative assistant like mm-hmm. material. Like you're not going, <laughs> oh but that's what I did. <laughs> right, so you right. sometimes, and there's a lesson in that because sometimes mm-hmm. you have to take a couple steps to take a couple steps forward so I was a manager and I went from being a manager where I was to an administrative assistant at a mortgage company so I learned what I needed to learn and I became a mortgage processor then as I became a processor and then just through the years you know processing um, brokering processing manager and underwriter and so I've never, management was never really super desirable to me because back then you needed to have a Blackberry and people would contact you all mm-hmm. hours. And I'm like, once I log off, you know, right, I'm out of here. my daughter. Right. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So I never really wanted to dip into management and because I didn't want to be set on a salary. Like, no, you need to, if I'm working overtime, you need to pay me overtime. If I'm making, if I'm doing all this work, I need incentives. So management right. is kind of like a cap. So I just was strategic about that, but I didn't, um, mortgage brokering was sales and then I did processing and underwriting. Gotcha. Okay, cool. So, mm-hmm. so, so with the, the underwriting, um, uh, aspect. I know. That, so that was your, your, uh, your path of when you got into that. So right. what made you want to stay uh, as a, a underwriter? Uh, and like, what, what appeals you to actually doing uh, the, this process when it comes to this function? Um, I think because one, the money's good, you know, gotcha. it's a, right. um, because I do so many products and I do a lot, you know, it's a, it's definitely a six figure income, which is what I need to mm-hmm. provide the lifestyle that I need for my daughter and I. And then mm-hmm. also it's so many different, it's nothing's the same, right? It's a stressful job. And, mm-hmm. um, but I think, I, you know, I do first time home buyers who are spending literally their last dime on buying a house and then I do people who have like 10 million dollars in the bank and they're buying like their umpteen property so I think it's just the I learn a lot from the borrowers actually especially the ones who have a lot of money it's like you're looking at their files how they move the moves they're making you're like hmm, you know and then that and then you see the person who's the exact same age as you who's like literally you know, barely buying a house. So right. sometimes it's just very different. And um, I like it because it's not the same thing every day. It's definitely not for the week because it's very stressful. You have the irate loan officers, some jobs, the loan officers can't talk to the underwriter, but other jobs they can. So mm-hmm. you deal with people who are trying to make things work and force something that just doesn't work. And you just have gotcha. to be that person. Yeah. So, right. That's so, like so you, you said something um, when it comes to uh, you may 
have someone that's about your age and they're killing it. It's like, dang, okay, this person got $10, $20 million <laughs> in the bank. Like, we, we the same age. Yeah. So what's something yeah. that you learned uh, from observing them? Uh, what what mm-hmm. are some adjustments that you're like, you know what? I see what you have. I know what you do. Maybe that's something I may want to incorporate. So what are some of those things? Sometimes, I mean, I don't know if I want to say too much, but I yeah. look at their investment strategy because a lot of them invest in stock and I'm like, oh, that looks like a good stock option. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Gotcha. <laughs> so, gotcha. you know, mm-hmm. when I'm seeing they have millions of dollars and one thing I see is that they gift their, a lot of people with money, they gift their kids properties, they gift their kids funds to buy their first home. There And I'm like, I want to be that parent. I want to give yeah. my kid, you know, to, uh, her first property down payment. I want to give her a home. So it's just like, wow, it's it's a huge difference from people who um, have money because they're mm-hmm. legit just like, right. And, and it's a tax write-off when you give somebody, you know, money. Really? So they're, they're, oh, absolutely. Yeah. Gotcha. And you see people, I see people making millions of dollars and they're literally owe nothing to the IRS. They actually get a tax refund because they, they, um, you know, that's how they, they have people that know what they're doing that do their taxes. And it's just like a mental note, like, okay, I see how you gotcha. gotcha. <laughs> yeah. Okay. So, so was, did yeah. it make you also want to diversify in your uh, investment? So I'm sure you're probably already invested in stocks, but was it a thing of, mm-hmm. okay, maybe these types of stocks, maybe I should look at some ETS, like, like what, what are some right. other things that made you like, you know what? Okay. I was already doing this, but the way that you're doing this is different. So let, let me, let me, let me, let me do a little something different here. Yeah. Sometimes I see like, it just depends on the borrower, but sometimes people, just the amount of money that they have in stock, it made me increase my life insurance policy. Mm. Um, I'm like, oh, okay. Because I have a great life insurance policy through my job. Uh-huh. But who's to say I'm not I'm not going to be working there forever. Right. So I'm like, oh, uh-huh. I need to increase my personal life insurance. And uh-huh. so it's just different things that I see that I'm like, we as a culture, you know, uh-huh. um, have to just do be more intentional about creating generational wealth. And I know that word, that term is so like overused right now yeah, on social yeah. media it's like Absolutely. i'm tired of hearing about it but it's like everybody's <laughs> right. like generation wealth generation wealth but like seriously if even if you don't have children right mm-hmm. you don't i think and as somebody whose mother passed away i think that just the money helps with the grievance you know and so gotcha. not even mm-hmm. that like I have these properties. If I pass away, how's the, how how's she going to pay the mortgages? How is yeah. she going to benefit from my death? And that's what you have to make sure of that your kid is losing you, but the silver lining is they're getting um, it back, you know? Gotcha, and I gotcha. think, right. So I think that's what we need to be more intentional about. Cause it's like this, why would I pay all this money for my family to do well when I pass away? Cause it's the right thing to do. Yeah. Yeah. You know, exactly. So now are you doing, uh, so your personal insurance, are you doing whole life? Are you doing term or are you doing a combination? Like, what does that look like? Not term. No, I'm mm-hmm. doing whole life. My, my goal was to live. To, I don't know what I'm going to pass away. You know, right, right. I'm, I'm hoping. And it's so funny because I was talking <laughs> to a girlfriend of mine last night. I'm 44. And I'm like, I gotta, I at least got another 44 years. Right, in me. Right. I'm like, maybe not. Mm-hmm. <laughs> my right, mom right. passed away at 60. So I might only have another 16 years. So mm-hmm. I don't know what life looks like for me, especially with all these, uh, you know, with COVID and just so many newfound sicknesses and things. So I just want to be prepared for, um, you know, my demise comes way sooner than anticipated. So right. whole life, I don't, I don't know much about life insurance, but for mm-hmm. me, term is not it. I mean, gotcha. who's to say you're going to, if you're paying all this money all these years up until 70 mm-hmm. and you live to be 80, then you just wasted, you know, a ton of gotcha. money. Gotcha. So I don't, I don't know. I don't, I'm not really educated on life insurance. So I just want to get that disclaimer, but I, I don't have term. I have my whole life. (laughs) Gotcha. Gotcha. Cool. So kind of going back to the the underwriting. So there's a lot of uh, misconception on what underwriting is and what's required. So what would you say are some uh, misconceptions from like the the common person 
that's like, all right, I'm going to apply for this mortgage. What What's some advice that you would give them to prep yourself to actually be, uh, you know, uh, underwritten for a loan? That's a great question. I would say uh, the misconception is, is that like, the underwriters are like some monsters in the background that, that don't want to close your loan, right? Mm -hmm. A lot of times, and I don't want to like place bank blame, but if you get a mortgage processor who's not really experienced or that may or may not know what they're doing, they are the ones communicating with the customer. So if you send them a bank statement and then they send it to the underwriter two weeks later and the underwriter's like, well, I need this, this, that, uh... then they feel like the underwriter is like attacking them, but like, I just got this information on the day of your closing. So I don't know, you know, so the, the person, the borrower um, should be in constant communication. And when people aren't experienced, they leave everything in the hands of the lender, but you need to constantly follow up, ask for updated commitments. If you send, say if your commitment letter says you need A, B and C, then you send that in and you ask for an updated commitment letter to say, I mean, has the underwriter reviewed it? I would like an updated commitment letter to be sure that uh, it's good. Because if you don't, you're sitting and waiting in the day of closing. They're like, oh, your loan's not closed. We need this. That's because the processor didn't submit. They waited and they sent all your stuff to the underwriter like the day before closing. And now you have all these uh, other things that you need to provide. So it seems like the underwriter's like this monster in the background. And a lot of times it's simply just, there's guidelines that need to be followed. And then there's very small amount of discretion, you know, that can be used. So mm -hmm. I would say if you're buying a house, make sure all your ducks are in a row. Don't, you know, start. One thing that works my soul is like when people are just transferring money from here to there and here and Venmo. And so now like we are looking at because people can pay bills through Venmo all of your deposits, all of your withdrawals, everything's being scrutinized because uh, we need to see what's happening and like, what are you doing? What is this? Are you, you know, so your bank statements get looked at, all your deposits, all your withdrawals, all the deductions on your pay stubs, your tax returns. So you just need to make sure that you're completely transparent upfront so there's no um, surprises at the end. Gotcha. Okay. So mm -hmm. now with this, uh, the mortgage processor, um, so their job is to be the, the middleman, uh, between, uh, right. the person that's applying and the underwriter and just making sure that you have everything you need to make right. a decision. So, okay. So are they, so they're more of a, a salesperson? Are they like the funnel of bringing in business or is there another person that brings business to the mortgage processor? No. So there's the loan officer um, salesperson who sells the loan. So okay. some some loan officers want to be involved. They don't even want the processor contacting their customer. Mm. Um, so there's the loan officer who they call you, they sell you on the rate, the product, the term. And then it goes to, um, depending on where you go, it either goes straight to the underwriter or it goes to a processor. The processor is in charge of getting everything that the underwriter is requiring. They're in charge of getting your homeowner's insurance, correct, makes your verification of employment. They're in charge of like updating the system and get everything situated. So when it goes to the underwriter, there's some people who may say, oh, this is a single family home. And then the appraisal comes in and it's a PUD or it's a condo or it's a detached. And he said it was attached. So the processor is in charge of like correcting that, mm -hmm. um, making sure the mortgagee clause just verifying your employment and then it goes to the underwriter so your salesperson depending on who it is they may or may not be very involved some salespeople just sell alone and they like wash their hands until they get a check some are very hands-on some have sales assistants who are also helping with the process so it can get a little gotcha. you know, so what what formation would you say is probably the most beneficial um well i have a few questions about that so what structure do you think makes the most sense? Uh, having the the person that's selling the loan and having a processor that gets the information uh, and is in communication with the person that's getting a loan than an underwriter? Or would you want the person that's selling the loan to be the person that's in communication with everybody? It sort of depends because if you have an experienced processor or not, right? So if mm -hmm. you have a 
a lazy processor, it can make the the experience with your customer be very bad. And then it's gotcha. a, it, it, they talk about you. They don't care about the processor. Your name is on the line. Right. So it depends on what kind of loans you're doing and what kind of, what level you're trying to take it to. I think the loan officers who are very high volume, who have sales assistance mm. are more successful than loan officers who don't have sales assistance. And mm. also I'm trying to find a politically correct way to say this. There are some things that we just don't need to know as underwriters. And so only sales would know that. So processor mm. just upload a bunch of unnecessary stuff. Now you don't open up a whole can of worms. And like now we need a now now this whole file is just at risk. Gotcha. So sometimes you you need to have a processor who know who at the processor and the loan officer and in communication. Um, there's just some things that we just don't need to know. And if you tell mm. us, it's just going to create. But sales also has a history of being not so honest so it's best that the processor get things because sales tries to intervene a little bit too much they're trying like, to get a sale they're trying to get a sale basically yeah it's a conflict of interest if the salesperson is getting the verification of employment no that needs to come from the processor it right. needs that the salesperson and the appraiser do not communicate so it's like you need to just have the processor because it just can become a conflict of interest if sales is is too involved in a loan. Because gotcha. there's things sales might know that they might not communicate, and then a processor finds out, and your loan is like done. Gotcha, gotcha. So someone mm -hmm. that wants to uh, become an underwriter and they they're you know listening to you, they've done their research, and like, man, that seems like a career that I want to get into. What steps would you recommend? Is there a particular degree certification? Is like what what path should they take in order to do this? Um, I think experience, um, there's a lot of people who are processors that literally have no clue what they're doing, mm -hmm. which causes a lot of chaos for the customer and a bad reputation for the loan officer. So my thing is, if you can be a, a good loan processor, then you can be a good underwriter. Um, I worked my way up, but I did get a degree in finance so that I could like leverage my salary. Mm -hmm. But I think with um, a lot of it comes experience and you can't just jump in being an underwriter with like no experience. Like gotcha. you need, it's you cost the bank a ton of money if you do not know how to underwrite. And your gotcha. job will, your head will be chopped. <laughs> right, right, so right. we have scorecards, like you know, when you're doing DE loans, if if your borrower is delinquent in the first year of the loan, that goes on your scorecard because that means you didn't analyze the risk good enough. So, right. you know, I think um, just having a knowledge of like mortgage one hundred and one and knowing what. I mean, it, it's a lot of different guidelines, especially if you're doing a lot of different products, mm -hmm. you need to know the guidelines of all those products. And if you don't, if you don't know it, then you need to be able to efficiently read them and be productive and quality. So it, it's a lot of moving parts to being an underwriter, like, um, especially if you're doing a more complex loans. So gotcha. I would say just educate yourself and work your way up or, you know, if you get it, if you have a degree in finance, I mean, that doesn't give you the, you know, the qualifications to just go underwrite. So you just have to like know all the guidelines and apply yourself. Gotcha. Gotcha. And mm -hmm. so you're talking about scorecards and I did not know about this. So mm -hmm. you're saying that, uh, so I put like this, I'm used to say with a, a, a sale uh, of a property, you, you bought the home, uh, maybe, some things happen with the home later on. Some things broke down. It's like it already happened. Now it's your problem type of deal. But as a underwriter, you're saying that if they default in that first year, it's like you're still attached to this loan, even though it's already done. You already got paid for everything's done. But it's like now they're like, okay, now let's see how how good you actually are. So how long do they actually look at that? that loan is it like a year two years or is it like for the life of the loan if we see two no. years down the line yeah 
Yeah, not for the life of the loan. I mean, mm-hmm. they do it in the per- I mean, some of the loans get pulled, like they're randomly audited and they're like, mm-hmm. you didn't ask for this, you missed this. And sometimes you'll get hit if you miss something. Some people will close on a loan and like six months later, the bank is asking them for something. You sign something at closing, they say that you'll cooperate. I mean, with all those documents that you sign mm-hmm. at closing, there is paperwork that says if this loan, if there's anything that comes up during this, um, after the fact that you will cooperate with, um, you know, trying to get the loan closed. So, um, sometimes loans aren't audited until like six months later and you have to, mm. you're co- going back to the customer. Like, can you explain this? Can you advise? And then we have something called, um, undisclosed debt, um, uh, monitoring. So people get their credit pulled and they apply for debt in the loan process. So that comes up. And it's like, why are you getting new debt while you're acquiring a home? Even, I don't know how long each bank does it, but even after you close your loan, if you're still getting new debt, they get a notification. Because Mm. then if you default, they're like, okay, well, this customer. So yeah, um, we, if they default in the first year, um, FHA, then um, it goes on the underwriter scorecard because you didn't, you didn't mitigate the risk. You didn't check enough things. So that's why we, not only are we trying to save the bank money, we're also trying to cover ourselves because yeah. it'll follow you wherever you go. That makes absolute sense. Okay. So now it gives a, a more understanding as to why people may perceive underwriters as a monster, but it's a, <laughs> yeah, we're like, if it was like, if it didn't matter, then it's like, all right, you know, money for everybody, but it's like, Hey, I need to make sure that you could pay this back. So I'm looking at everything that you're doing, all the, the, your credit, your, this, your, that, your debt, can you afford it? And if you're a little too close to the line, then it's like, yeah. uh, maybe there's something else you can give me to, to kind of push me either way. So right now the question is, and I'm not sure if you could talk about this, uh, mm-hmm. what are some things that can push you towards uh, a yes? Like, is it uh, more income or potential income? Or like, what, what are some things that's like, okay, if you just add this, then maybe it may push me that way. So our job is to prove their ability to repay the loan, right? Mm-hmm. So if you have a lot of risk, if you don't have great credit, you have a, you're only putting 3% down, you're using all your assets. So if there's if there's so many risks to the bank and there's really no compensating factors, then you know the the compensating factors and the risks need to be equal. And at first time home buying programs, it's a little bit more um, understandable if there's more risk than compensating factors because they have like low income first time home buyer pro there's a lot of different programs for first time home buyers where the risk will definitely outweigh the compensating factors and that's where underwriters need to use their discretion um and so i would say if you're somebody who has a very high debt ratio because you have like a lot of debt and you're not really putting a lot of money down then a compensating factor is like, oh, they have a spouse who also has income. They're not on the loan, but they have a job. And you can see their deposits on the bank statements. So you know that there's additional income, but we're not using it to qualify, but at least we know it's there. Something like that. Or if they have a part-time job and they might not have a two-year history of working a part-time job, so you can't use the income because it hasn't been two years, but or at least a year, you know that it's there you know or something like that or if they have a ton of reserves it's like oh this customer is a high risk but they have 10 months reserves so they have the capability you know they have a little bit more leeway to pay as opposed to somebody who has no reserves at all gotcha so it's yeah it's just trying to find the compensating factors like i'm approving this loan because so -hmm. you need to give them a because (laughs) <laughs> gotcha. Gotcha. So, Basically, all right. Yeah. Now on the opposite end of that, what's something that you're on the fence and then somebody might've brought you this uh, piece of information. Are you like, Oh yeah, now I can't do it because this, <laughs> this kind of made me see like, yeah, it's too risky. So what, what yeah. are some examples? 
Um, sometimes people don't disclose all information. Um, they might have gotten a divorce and now they owe child support or they owe mm. alimony and they didn't disclose that, but they might provide tax returns because they're using rental income. It's like, hey, there's a spouse on your tax returns. You're unmarried now. Where's the deal? Oh, here's the divorce decree. Now you owe alimony and child support. So things like that, things where people don't disclose because they do these credit repair programs, which I'm totally opposed to, but that's another subject. They do credit repair and they get their bankruptcies and foreclosures removed off their credit. But we have most most um, lenders who are reputable have a fraud detection um, in the background. So if you don't disclose your foreclosure, your bankruptcy, it will come up before your loan closes. And mm. so then it's like, oh, you had a bankruptcy mm, a couple of years ago. Now I need an explanation on why you had this bankruptcy. And was this house this, that got foreclosed on, was that included in the bankruptcy? Because if not, we need to wait seven years from your foreclosure date. So it's things Whoa. like that, that you like, if you're not honest up front, then it's like, well, you didn't disclose that. So like now I'm going to look at your file a little bit more thoroughly mm. to see what else you weren't honest about. Now let's get transcripts to see if they're being honest about their income. So it's like you work for a family member. You need to say you work for a family member because if we find out you work for a family member and your income supposedly increased, you know, more than 20%, then yeah, now, now we know you work for a family member at the 11th hour. Now we're going to need a written verification appointment. We're going to need tax returns. And so transcripts from the IRS, depending on the lender. So it's just best to be really upfront because mm-hmm. you don't know what tools the lender is using. Some lenders are oblivious to it and some aren't. And if you're if the lender finds out these things at the last minute, um, you have underwriters who they'll Google and make sure, you know, it just depends on how they're feeling about the loan. If they feel like you're not being honest. Um, I had a loan where gotcha. I seen something coming out monthly and I Googled it like, what is this? And it was an HOA fee. And I'm like, well, how are you paying the HOA fee if you don't own any property? And it turns out they had a property. They just didn't disclose it. Um, so it's like, you just have to be honest because it literally can make or break your loan. Wow. So, okay. Yeah. That, that is huge. Okay. <laughs> so uh, a couple of things I learned on that is that you can have a, a loan under one person's name and they have a spouse. They That spouse may not necessarily be on a loan, but they'll take into consideration that, okay, though we're not qualifying all of their finances, but we know that some money is is also there. So with that, do you ask for like their bank statements as well? Just to verify or, okay, gotcha. So what what do you do to verify uh, that they have income? Um, because that's that's really discretionary. And it, yeah. a lot of things, What one thing about underwriting is everybody's thought process and the way they analyze things are different. So mm-hmm. I'm not a... I'm not a like warm and fuzzy underwriter. I'm not asking you for everything under the sun because mm-hmm. I'm not confident in my decision. I'm asking if there's a like a little bit of like doubt that you're going to be able to repay this loan. I'm mm-hmm. like asking mm-hmm. for more. But if you have a bank statement and you see deposits that don't belong to the borrower, it's just a mental note like, okay, well, they do have other income coming in because we use your gross income. So if you make $100,000 a year, that's what we're using. We're not using your net. And, but you do keep in mind, like, this is their net income. Uh-huh. So uh-huh. if you're a good underwriter, you're looking at, like, you might make this gross, but net, this is what you're making. And you're literally barely making this payment. Gotcha. So, gotcha. Um, yeah, it's it's very different because a lot of underwriters, it's really the thought process of the person looking at your loan. But Things can be escalated. Things can be waived. You just, if you want to push back, if you don't agree with something, you can push back and be like, I don't agree with this. I want to escalate it. Sometimes they'll just waive it. It just depends. You have to educate yourself as a borrower though. Because if you're just going what the bank is saying, you could be missing out on a deal because you were passive about it. Gotcha. Gotcha. Okay. Mm-hmm. And now, um, now, and this segment, um, we talk about books. Right. And um, mm-hmm. I've found that as I continue to read books, because at first I was doing like the uh, instead of 75 hard, I was doing 100 hard. And in that uh, I had to read 10 pages a day uh, and okay. 
it makes you understand <laughs> that reading in itself, and this may sound super basic, but reading has taught me a lot, right? Reading these different self-help books, uh, like the Rich Dad, Poor Dads, the uh, uh, different mm -hmm. mindset, uh, my mindset and, and um, self-help books, uh, even though they're taken and like 10 pages at a time, it really does change my outlook. It changes certain mm -hmm. actions, things of that nature. So what are three books that you would recommend uh, someone read, whether it's for mindset, underwriting, whatever it is. So what are books you would recommend? I would say one, these are the books that I really thoroughly enjoyed. And one of them is, um, Bill, what's the name Billy suggested, which I love was, um, um, so one is the, the slight edge. Uh -huh. Um, uh -huh. I love that book. Um, Atomic Habits, which is amazing. So I read books like that because habits and consistency and discipline is the areas where I struggle. So Atomic mm -hmm. Habits was amazing. I actually need to read it again. Um, yeah. The Slight Edge was amazing. And also um, just UOU from um, ET uh... is a great book. And Rich Dad Poor Dad, I have that book. I've read a couple chapters and I I know everyone's saying it's an amazing book. I guess I need to just push myself to finish it. I haven't finished that book yet, but I gotcha. will. Um, and so they're the ones for like mindset that I, mm -hmm. I think having healthy habits is definitely a huge ticket to success. Like healthy gotcha. habits, you know. Gotcha. So now, now I'll tell you, uh, so Omar, uh, and for those mm -hmm. listening, it's, it's somebody that's in our accountability group. He's been telling me about Atomic Habits it's been over over a year since he told me to read it. And so finally, um, it was one of the books that I ordered. So uh, because of the hundred hard at, I read the book and I was like, man, I, I should have read this way sooner. Like, that <laughs> it's book a great is book. Amazing. Oh my gosh. Like, it, it is, is amazing. Yeah. Yeah. Have you so read what, the slight edge? Like I did not, I have the book, but I haven't read it yet. Okay. Yeah, I think for me, hab habit forming, habit stacking, uh -huh. and just being consistent has been, because my life is very um, unpredictable with Bianca uh -huh. and her frivolous schedule, and I'm saying her name because you know her, but for uh -huh. the people listening, that's my daughter. Uh -huh. And so because of that, I don't have a stack because my life is just very spontaneous right. um but i i need to prioritize certain things and just learn to stack habits and be consistent and disciplined like it's so important and that's what i struggle with on our accountability mm -hmm. call i'm doing so much better at it now um so and just you guys being on mm -hmm. that call and seeing your daily habits and all the things you were doing was so encouraging so and i encourage anybody to get an accountability group like we did because I feel yeah. like that was a, a really pivotal point for me considering what I was going through at the time. Absolutely. Yeah. And that's something I've been considering uh, doing it again. Mm -hmm. um, but we're, I mean, we're getting up early though, man. Like we're, because uh, it started off. I'm an early bird. <laughs> I mean, I'm, I'm, I'm not. So it was, uh, it was tough. Like we're getting up. Uh, the, the call would start at five o'clock uh, my time. Uh, and so to be ready at five, I have to like kind of drag myself out of bed at four and just kind of be a zombie for a while. And then mm -hmm. by the time we start, got to be on the treadmill and it was called treadmill talk because we right. be on the treadmill as we we're doing <laughs> it. And it, it was right. just, uh, it, it was, it was tough, but I would definitely say it allowed me to uh, hear people's perspective on whenever we had issues it was like, oh, okay, yeah, this makes sense. Okay, now, okay, that's a that's a better approach to do it. And sometimes yeah. when you make excuses for stuff, you had different personalities on there to where it's like, uh, <laughs> stop, no, you're not doing that. This is the way. So yeah. So uh, I'm thinking. So we we may do it again. Maybe uh, I think you uh, should. Uh, once a week. I yeah. think you should. Maybe gotcha. even once a week because we were doing it every day for what, like a year? Yeah. That yeah. was insane. Thing. And I, I mean, was. I'm, still, really I'm an early bird. I mean, I still, I go to the gym at five o'clock in the morning, three to four mm -hmm. times a week. So gotcha. I get up early, you know, I'm just, I feel like 
I'm most efficient in the morning. But I would love to do that again. Like I yeah. fell off of the call because I just had so much going on at the time. It was like, uh-huh. I don't really have any short term goals. I was just trying to get, you know, unload those properties in Cleveland. Thank God I right, did that. Right. So <laughs> once I did that, I was Wait, like, it was more that? than one. I thought it was just one. Two, but the one that okay, okay, okay. we had. Gotcha, yeah. gotcha, gotcha, gotcha. Oh, okay, gotcha. Yeah. Gotcha. Man, mm-hmm. that, those Cleveland stories. Uh, we'll, we'll go Please. We'll I don't even, when I hear the word Cleveland, it's just, I'm like triggered. I don't even want to like, don't even. Oh my gosh. All right. Uh, what is it? Okay. So lightning route, lightning route. All right. Okay. So with this, um, i going to ask you three questions. Uh, and sometimes they're a little serious. Sometimes they're a little goofy. Sometimes they're real estate related. But with okay. these, these are not, they're too goofy. It's more so of uh, you <laughs> expressing yourself uh, and uh, people getting to know you a little bit more, right? So okay. uh, if you could live in any country and have no access to social media or TV for six months and it can't be the U.S., what country would it be? That's a good question. I would have to say somewhere in the Caribbeans or somewhere oh. in Africa. Okay, so like, you got to pick a country. You got to pick one. Okay, let me think. Um, oh my gosh, that is so hard. One country. Mm-hmm. Um. Oh my gosh. Maybe um Ghana. Ghana. Okay. Okay. Gotcha. So why Ghana? Because okay, so I did the ancestry test, and it says that I'm Nigerian, and I love like I want to be so cultured it's like ridiculous mm. but yeah. i've seen ghana oh like i'm not cultured like i'm yeah i'm mm. african-american i haven't been to africa yet i've been a lot mm. of places i haven't been to africa and i would just love to be there and like mm. experience the culture eat the food like see all the sites because africa is beautiful like the yeah. images that yeah. are online so any country in africa but i'm saying mm. ghana because i've seen ghana i've seen cape town I've mm-hmm. seen um, um, Kenya, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. the beaches there. I just, I just want to go. I just want to experience it, gotcha, you know? Gotcha. Um, I feel you. So uh, yeah. next, actually this year, we're planning on going uh, to Nigeria. Because of course, uh, Whitney's Nigerian. And so, Is she? Uh, yeah. Uh, you know I know. I knew you know the, the, I know. Oh, no, no, no you didn't I know. I guess when will we have said it? wedding but i didn't know mm-hmm. who was african or like i didn't want to ask but okay. i didn't i know uh, and so I she's nigerian and, I, and I'm, I'm haitian sure. i thought it was the other there way around no, i thought no, you no, were yeah. african and she no. was like caribbean yeah. so cool. there you go see well i guess we should have shared more other uh, we were just talking Dallas. about goals <laughs> I know. yeah so so yeah so this oh, this year in december we're planning okay. on going uh and maybe uh we can do like a uh you know treadmill talk type of group reunion over there. That would be awesome. We've been talking about doing Amazing. meetups, but it's been like split meetings yeah. to where it was like all the all the women went here. And um I, I mean I saw Omar a couple of times because he's in you know in my hometown. But um and I saw I saw uh Crystal uh and of course we met uh in in Miami. Um but there's mm-hmm. I haven't met oh and Chrissy. I met Chrissy. That's my girl. Uh, yeah, yeah. And, uh, <laughs> but I haven't met uh, Dechelle, uh, I'll see Gina. I haven't you met haven't? her in person. No, no, never met so her. So you didn't come. You didn't come when we went to Atlanta then. Nah, nah, nah. Didn't didn't. Oh, go. you should have been there. Yeah, I mean it was a oh, you know, gross okay. trip, you know. So y'all y'all yeah, you know, y'all, y'all have fun. Uh, but it's like uh, Billy. Never met Billy in person. Uh, he lives Me in uh, uh, in uh, I think either South or North Carolina. Um. So that's uh so it would be great for all of us to meet in one spot. And you know, though we've been on these calls for like years, it's like you know, for us to actually meet each other, it'll it'll be a different experience. So uh but yeah, I but that was most the first of question. The woman. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I didn't meet Omar Billy or gotcha. you with the woman. Well yeah, we'll we make it we'll that. make it happen. Yeah. So question Absolutely. number two. Uh mm-hmm. if you if you are not an underwriter, what mm-hmm. would you be? A stay-at-home mom. It's like, no, I'm just playing. I would be... I feel like you would love being a stay-at-home mom, though. No, I wouldn't. That's why I I said it. I like... No. I'm a mover and a... 
I'm a mover and a shaker. Yeah. Right now, yeah. I feel like I feel like I need to be home and not working right now. So stay at home, mm-hmm. mom is is where I need to be right now. But mm-hmm. for life now, I gotcha. I'm I have too much pride, I think, and too mm-hmm. much. But I mean, even if I had a rich husband, I would definitely be making moves. But mm-hmm. I think if I wasn't an underwriter, I'd be like um, some sort of entrepreneur. Like entrepreneurship is definitely where my heart is at. I just really Mm -hmm. haven't had the guts to do it. But Mm -hmm. I would say some sort of entrepreneur and like, um, you know, in the cut. I don't really Mm -hmm. like to be out in the open, like flossing on social media. So I would just be running a business somewhere and in the background. I am a good facilitator. So like I would let somebody else just, just let me be in the background managing everything and I'd be good. Gotcha, gotcha, good deal. All right, and the, uh, so- you said just an entrepreneur. So what of of anything or just some, like what specifically, like what type of business specifically would you want to do? I mean, something in real estate. I'd probably okay. be doing just invest in real estate full time gotcha, or gotcha. doing like, uh, you know, coaching people on like the real estate. But I wouldn't be um, working for anybody. Gotcha, that's gotcha. that's what I do now. Yeah. Gotcha. I feel you. All right. And last question. Mm-hmm. All right. If uh well, let me, my my handwriting is terrible. Hold on. All right. If you could uh have oh, here we go. If you could have any animal as a pet, right? And not not your current dog. Uh do you have a dog? I thought you had a dog, right? I have a dog and a cat. My a dog cat and a cat. is 18. Okay. Gotcha. Oh wow, goodness. So if yeah. you could have any animal as a pet. And it can't be your current animals. And there would be no danger of you being hurt by this animal. Uh, and this animal would not hurt other people. Um, what animal would you pick and why? Um, a horse. A horse. Okay. <laughs> gotcha. Okay. And why a horse? I love horses. They're just so beautiful. And just, mm. they are, that is a beautiful creature. I will mm. ride it. And just take good care of it. If I could live gotcha. on a farm, I don't know how gotcha. I would work on a farm, <laughs> but I would love to have a beautiful pet horse. <laughs> gotcha, gotcha. Okay, all right, good deal. Well, that, that's all the questions I had for you. Uh, and thank you so much for doing this podcast. This was amazing. Thanks for having uh, me. Yeah, for sure. I, I learned a lot. So, for the folks that want to follow you on social media or get in contact with you, uh, what? <laughs> My social media has nothing about underwriting on it. So Okay, that... okay, gotcha, gotcha. But yeah, somebody would to show you some love. If somebody would to say, hey, it was okay. great. Yeah. So what 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 uh where could they where could they show some love at? So my Instagram is Miss MS dot brownie one. Okay. So gotcha. that's where they can find me on Instagram. Um I'm not really on any my Facebook is private, but like hopefully at some point I'll start, you know posting content to educate people and encourage people. That's what I would love to do. Like I have a lot of knowledge and I, I know that a lot of people are, are inspired, inspired and encouraged by me, like in my personal life. So I just need to right. learn how to create the content and put it out there and not be so like shy. Gotcha. Now <laughs> this kind of goes back to yeah. the accountability call. Um, mm-hmm. Now we need to pick a date on when you're going to start posting this information online. So by the time you post this podcast, you Mm-hmm. hopefully I will have some content up because I, I actually just um, pay for a content creation class. Ah, um, Bianca okay. knows it, but she's too busy. You know, she mm-hmm, barely mm-hmm. posts on her business page because she's too busy. So yeah. I, I, I intend to, that's why I would love the accountability group again. Like Christy mm-hmm. and I talked last night. We talked for almost six hours. Oh my like, gosh. We had a, we had a talk night. for so last night Jeez. we talked about content creation we talked about real estate like that's what yeah. i need in my life like just some gotcha, like-minded gotcha. people that can push me so right. i'm looking forward to it so i gotcha. you know i might hit you up because i i so, want to i don't want to oh, do yeah. a podcast but i want to start a youtube channel so okay well we'll do that but as far as that instagram post that uh, you're saying by the time this comes out so are we saying two weeks from now are we saying one week from now like how many days between right now and that post is uploaded. Um, and then that way, you know, we could, we could hold you accountable and you could put it in the group be like, Hey, I am, I want to be held accountable 
for posting uh, a post about underwriting processes or whatever. So just like thinking to yourself right now, how many days between now and then? Because realistically, as soon as we're done here, you could just take out your phone and just do it, right? But yeah. I understand you want to think about it. So how many days? Because I have to create something that's worth reading. I would say, give me a week. So wait, worth reading? I thought you were going to just do a video. Oh, to talk on a video on my page? Yeah. yeah. Oh, yeah. I thought you meant like post, like create a nah, Canva nah, 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 and like nah, type nah. this long paragraph. Oh, you want me to talk? Just, just talk. Just what you've been doing this whole time. Just talking <laughs> uh, about what you know. So, so okay, because it's just do that, that easy. today. I mean, I could do that. I could hang out and do that. I mean, I, Boom. I mean, okay. okay, but still give me a week because I have to like look <laughs> okay. at it and edit it. Okay, so what, one week from today is going to yeah, be yeah because live. I have a really really busy next couple of days, and okay. so okay. Cool, cool, cool. next this starting Sunday after mm -hmm. church I'll be good, and then I can like I just want to edit it and make sure it's mm -hmm. good, like you know, and so. Okay. But yeah, thank you for the encouragement. I'm going to do yes. it. <laughs> one week, one week. All right, awesome. Hey, thank you so much. I appreciate it. Thank you, Eli, for having me. I'm looking forward right. to seeing you. All right, yeah. see ya. All right, see ya. Thank you for listening to the Your First Steps podcast. Let us know what you thought about this episode by leaving a review. And don't forget to subscribe.